Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, Alex, what's she doing? Recorded <laughs> live. February the 15th, 2015, from Coolidge, Arizona. Welcome, everyone, on board. We're traveling through the Book of Acts at a rather slow pace. Uh, That's because there are critical things that are taking place in this book. What happens here, what, what happens here is what separates Christianity from all other religious uh, systems. What happens here is the greatest thing that God ever did and the reason for the creation at the beginning. So anything that uh, is important has to come off of what happens in Acts chapters 1 and 2. And that's why we've spent time building a platform and a foundation so that we can understand what God is up to and what he's doing uh, in the establishment of the apostles as the absolute authority for the church. Now, we can ignore the evidence. Sometimes when evidence seems to run against what we think or what we have thought in the past, we kind of want to just ignore it. But the evidence of Scripture will not go away. No no matter how much time uh, one takes in trying to undermine the impact of Scripture, the impact is still there to those who have a heart for it. We begin today with verse 12 of chapter 1. We've already discussed what it is that made the apostles unique, and we'll see now that happening in chapter 2. So now we're getting set up for that. So once again, what we're getting set up for in the book of Acts, what's going to happen here is the one thing that separates Christianity from all other religions and all other systems. I don't want you to forget that. I'm going to repeat it again probably. Okay? Now that that has soaked in, let's go to verse 12. Then then return they into Jerusalem. What's the significance about Jerusalem here? All right. Now, he told them to stay there. And in, remember Luke 24, 47, and read it enough to where it's, right on the tip of your tongue. What is it in, in I think it's Luke twenty four forty seven. 
that something unique is going to happen in Jerusalem that has never happened before and would never happen again. And so he's telling the disciples in chapter 1, as Abner suggested, he's telling them, now you stay here. You stay put. So what is it, what, what is it in Luke 47? Uh, okay. Jesus said in Luke, um, I think, 24:47. Did I say it wrong? Uh, I don't have it here, but Luke 24, 47, uh, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Nauvoo. Oh, so we immediately have some opposition to my rendering. Okay. <clears throat> Oh, that was that. I'm, I thought you call that an interpretation. I don't think that's even an interpretation. So, any what's that? Perversion. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So let's go back to John and find out what the. Well, now why would we want to go back to John, Matthew, Mark, or Luke? Now, that gives us the credentials about the one who is involved, but he is involved to whom? Uh, To the apostles and to the Jews in particular, but, I mean, in general, but to the apostles in particular. And so we have to come now to what the apostles say. So the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the beginning place where we learn what we must do to move into the state of forgiveness, because it begins where? In Jerusalem. And in Luke 24, 47, it has not yet taken place. And so anything prior to the last chapter there in Luke is out of order as a place to go to to find out how we have our sins forgiven. Now, I... I'm emphasizing that because one of the bigger churches in our area, I think they have eight or 9,000 people, and I was talking to one of them Friday, one of the members, and uh, they said, now all you have to do is you have to have one eye on Jesus and one eye on eternity. And I thought about that for a while. and Yeah. <clears throat> That's, uh, yeah. That would make anybody cross-eyed who knew anything about the Scripture. You know, they say that if you keep your eyes that way for so long, you're going to stay there. Oh, then that's a good, because that's what happens. And he said that's the dominant theme is keep one eye on Jesus. But what about his mission? You know, Jesus said in Luke, we've been, we've, when we were going through there here in a few uh, weeks or months ago, uh, he said, you know, this is not about me. This is about what my purpose is. So where is the mission in that? Where is the mission of Jesus in that kind of thinking? What that does, it brings people away from his mission, away from his purpose, focusing on him apart from his purpose. And folks, that's detrimental. And it's detrimental eternally. We don't know what his mission was and cannot become a participant of it until we get into Acts.
And that was the objective behind the creation. And I know you've heard me say that so many times, but folks, it has to be reinforced over and over again. God had a purpose that gave cause for the creation. And that purpose that gave cause for the creation was his church, his kingdom, and the effect of it begins here right where we are now in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Acts. The fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament come together in Acts chapter 2. Not all of them. Some are a few years later. But for the most part, the ones that affect our relationship to God and his purpose take place in Acts chapter 2. So we're bringing up to that. We, we're building a foundation for that so that when we get there, it'll just be like old hats. So in verse 12, they, they returned into Jerusalem. That's where Jesus had already told them in verse 4 of this chapter, you do not depart from Jerusalem. You stay put. And then he says that it's a certain distance from where they were, the Mount of Olives, and going into Jerusalem was how far? Five-eighths of a mile. How far were they allowed to travel on the Sabbath day? Five-eighths of a mile. What was that, Mike? Five-eighths of a mile. Okay, is that right? He said five-eighths of a mile. I had down here seven-eighths, but I was going from memory. Okay, but but either way, it's less than a mile. And Michael is suggesting to us five-eighths. That was a guess. (laughs) What? That was a guess. (laughs) It was a good guess. I think it was seven-eighths. Oh, when is oh oh yeah, hundreds thousands of miles. Yeah, the seven days, right? Oh yeah, to walk five eighths of a mile in those days. You no, know, the, the the ploy here that Alex is making is that we we see this word near and we always know what it means until it gets into something that has to do with prophecy, and then all of a sudden when it says this is near, this is at hand, this is now. Somehow, all of a sudden, it changes its definition and means projects us out thousands of years. Well, the, that's not how the word near is used. And this is a good illustration, Alex. Uh, when it's near Jerusalem, it's near. You know, that's not far. He wouldn't call that a far distance even when you have to walk it. I walk more than that with my dog every morning. And uh, they don't, you know, they could walk twice that. So it's near. The Sabbath day's journey, and by the way, if you want to go under the Sabbath day, what happened to the, anybody who walked more than that on the Sabbath day under the law? I don't know. I thought they'd just take off their coat and declare it their home and keep going. Take off their hat and declare that their home and keep going. <laughs> That's a subjective way of uh, dealing with that. <laughs> However, <laughs> in God's frame of mind, not 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 changing the point of reference, as Dan 
which a lot of how a lot of folks deal with the scripture is that they were they had to be killed. And if you refused to kill somebody who went over seven eighths of a mile, then you had to be killed too. So if you want to go back under the law, go back under the law. Good luck. Seven eighths of a mile to church to drive sixty miles, but we don't have to walk seven no. eighths of a mile. <laughs> but you're not on the phone. But it's sure more than a Sabbath day's journey. <laughs> not by car. <laughs> yeah, not not by car. That's true. Okay, well, that was a limitation. And, you know, God is a God of limitations. Don't mess with him and his limitations. Yeah. And so was it, uh, it was a part of the law, the fourth commandment of the law. And therefore, when that whole covenant went away... Why all of that went away with it, and now we are subject to the laws of the new covenant. People who want to go back borrow themselves a whole lot of trouble in that they eliminate themselves from being under the new covenant of grace. And that's no way to go. So we, you can't be under two covenants, and that's one of the things that the, the denominationalism has them confused. And that reminds me, let's go to Romans chapter 7. This is free. It'll be particularly free if I can't find it. Yeah, let's go to chapter 7, just to, uh, again, build a broader base on what is consummated in Acts chapter 2. And, of course, Paul is writing to Romans after what happens in Acts chapter 2. Do you not know, brethren? I love that. Paul uses it so often. Have you got your thinking cap on, folks, he says? Don't you know this? Do you not know? Well, of course you do. Of course you know in chapter 7, verse 1. You know what I'm going to talk about because he says, I'm speaking to those who what? Who know the law. Some of his audience didn't know the law, but he's speaking specifically to those here who do that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. And then he illustrates it in verse 2. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. That's why a lot of husbands die. You're a little slow. (laughs) But if her husband dies, now what? She's released from the law concerning the husband, that is the law governing that situation. So then, verse 3, and they could all get that picture. That's not hard to understand. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she is called an adulteress. Now remember, he's not talking here about husbands and wives 
and their relationship. He's talking about one's relationship who claims to be a Jew under the law. So keep the subject in mind. He's giving us something here to illustrate what he's talking about. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. So everyone who hasn't come through the body of Christ is still under what? The The law. You were made to die to the law. Everyone who has become a Christian through the proper process and has become identified with those things that were unique to Jesus' body, that is, it died, it was buried, and it rose again, and we simulate that action when we are immersed into Christ in water so that you might be joined to another That's how we become joined to Christ, to him who was what? Raised from the dead. For what reason? That we might bear fruit. That puts us into a position that will now govern our practice. Position, practice. Position, purpose. And the purpose for getting the law behind us and becoming a part of Christ is so that we have a purpose in bearing fruit for God. So in verse 6, and and I don't want to get caught up here, there's there's just sermon after sermon here, but in verse 6, but now we have been released from the law. How did we become released from the law? by becoming identified with the body of Christ, having died to that by which we were bound so that now we get purpose so that we serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So now our purpose is going to be facilitated is that now it's going to come out of a renewal of spirit. And by the way, God's spirit does not need to be renewed. It is our spirit that has to be renewed. Don't forget that. That reminds me, we've got to go to another passage now. See, one thing just leads to another. Abner, it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, and I need the Greek on this. I'm not even going to bother to look at it, because if I go there, then something else will come up. Maybe, I, I want you to see, I want you to see something here that correlates with what I just said. So in verse 5, was it Titus 5? Titus 3, chapter 5. Okay. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 5. 
Yeah. Did I say it wrong? I probably you did. You said chapter 5. Oh, okay. <laughs> I well, we, I want, five. <laughs> all right. We want chapter 3. <laughs> now, he he say uh, we're going to read it first and then we're going we're going to slither over into the original. He saved us because you were famous. He saved us because well, she was my mama. He saved us because, oh, he was one of my children. He saved us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they were such a good person. And we go on and on and on. You know how people think. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done. In other words, we don't have any place in originating the terms of our salvation. Did you get that? We think that if we have an idea that God's going to accept us on the basis of whether or not we have lived up to our idea. Well, folks, that doesn't cut it. So that's, this verse is eliminating all of that to begin with. Not on the basis which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through, oh, now we need to, oh, let me go ahead and finish it. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Now, that English translation is sick. Let's go now to the original and see what it says. And this is what you're going to be judged by when you face God. Not out of the works, that is, it's out of, out of works, not out of works, works that you thought were the right thing to do, but they didn't necessarily correspond to what God said had to be done, which have been done, that we have done, but, okay, some of you may not be able to follow me here, let me get, and if I wiggle too much, tell me so. But in contrast, according to Kata, his mercy, meaning that he has a plan to make you useful. That's what the word mercy means. It's the motive behind what it is that God does. Mercy is the motive behind what God does. Mercy is the blank motive behind what it is that God does. Mercy is the motive. Oh, now we're catching on. (laughs) Motive. It's the motive behind what it is that God does. And the motive is called mercy And mercy means to make useful. So what is God's motive behind saving us? To make us useful. Oh, you are so clever. How many of you want a gold star? (laughs) (laughs) I can't. (laughs) You're getting the drift. Uh All right. Now, he saved us. Uh... Now, notice the word 
There's, there's not by the washing of regeneration, but it's through. This is dia. Now, for the folks that may not be used to this word, uh, hit uh, that there. Now, notice what it says in, in the uh, lexicon's definition of this little preposition. It's the primary preposition. That means it's the heart of that particular preposition. And it denotes what? The channel of an act. It's the channel. So through, and the channel is the washing of regeneration. That's the channel. It doesn't do it. It's the channel through which it is done. Now, and, next line down, and, this is where you need, if you haven't got your feet on the floor, put them there. And the renewing of spirit. The person who interpreted this is saying essentially that God's spirit needs washing and renewing. Yeah. Because that's how it reads, but that isn't how it's written. And that's not how it really, that, and it certainly is not what it means. So it says renewing, so it says that we are, that the according to his, to be useful then, we have to be, we have to go through the washing of regeneration. It's the channel uh, through his, which his mercy is extended, and... Through the renewing, because it corresponds with what's above here, and the renewing of spirit, and then then it's the holy. In, this, in other words, holy. That the spirit has to be made what? Holy. holy. Whose spirit has to be made holy? Whose spirit has to be regenerated? Ours. Whose spirit has to be renewed? See, the English gets you totally off base. And, folks, that's the source of our um, sectarianism of Protestantism today. Verses like this are just terribly, terribly mutilated in the English from the Greek text. And, folks, it's there for everybody to see. One of the comments that they've got in the Lexham interlinear is that they say it's through the through the bath of regeneration. Oh. Uh, is that a possibility? Bath. Yeah. I guess it would be. I guess it would be. That's interesting. All right. Uh, as, as long as bath, uh, I think that's a, I think that's a uh, preposition. I mean, a, um, uh, I think it's in um, a part of, I think it's a participle. Washing. Washing. No, it isn't a participle. It's just a a noun. So it could be bath. Yeah. You see, we think of washing as a verb. Uh, But this is a noun. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing we checked that up. It's a state of being. Okay. All right. And then the next verse has got your favorite pouring out, uh, you know, brutality there. That you know, the, 
that you've we've spent time on. Oh yeah. 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 And, and let's let's pull that up. Let's pull the next experts up just for case. Um, and uh, you you see here. You see, they've translated in your English Bible, my English Bible, as whom? Uh, look, look at the parsing here. Look at, what is it down here? Neuter. Neuter. So it has to be which. If your Bible says whom, what, who's, who, you know, did, did God make a mistake, couldn't make up his mind? Which he shed on us abundantly, and he shed here. Look at the parsing on this. Look at here, it's arrowist, which means now he's talking about what took place when? In the past. In the past, which he shed on us. So if he's talking about something unique here, he's not talking about what's ongoing. He's talking about something that took place in the past. He's not saying that we can't participate in it, but what took place took place when? In the past. And each person now individually has to become a participant in what something did, something happened in the past in a peculiar action. That's Eros. I guess the question you have to ask too then is when when Paul is talking about which he poured out on us, who is the us he's talking about? All of us? Or is it uh, apostles, well, is I it Jews? Apostles. Yeah. I think he's I referring think. here to what we're talking about in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, do you? Okay, good. And uh, he poured out on us so that through them we have access to the same thing. Well, not exactly the same thing, but it has to come it's through. the first person yeah. on us. It has to be made into uh, the first person. Okay, so... Yeah. It would have to be to be them. Yeah, that's the way that it would be written, right? Well, because it only it only, it only took place once. Right. That's it's another the, point. It's yes. in the arrows. It had to take place one time <clears throat> in the past. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And uh, so the only time that took place was, and that he poured it out. Uh, if it was a person, then. Right. You, if you pour out a person. If I if I if I'm gonna pour out K, you know, I'm gonna to have to put her in a kettle, I'm gonna to have to get the heat turned up to where she becomes liquefied. It's hard to pour anything that's solid. It's a really good blender. Oh well, <laughs> yeah. So you see, it's uh, barbarous to make the Holy Spirit a person when it never, 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 never is in the scripture. It is always the essence of what something is. Boy, that's hard to get through. So we have to keep going over. Let's go back to Acts. Boy, those little rabbit trails. That was a rabbit trail after a rabbit trail. In chapter 12, and I don't even have any notes, so you know all I got is the text. Uh, Acts chap, uh, chapter one, verse twelve. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are on your toes. 
finally starting to tap that brain of yours. Really? I'm starting to know what you're thinking. Really? <laughs> I wouldn't Seriously. count on it. <laughs> okay. I'm working on having it projected on the screen. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The days came. Yeah, and all you're going to get is a great big blank, uh, black, white. Maybe a turkey leg in there. Oh, it might be a turkey leg. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, verse 3, I mean 13, verse 13. So, they, they've, they've returned into Jerusalem. They have come from the Mount of Olives which is the Sabbath day's journey, and they were come in to, verse 13, they went to an upper room. And um, where they were staying. Now, the old King James says uh, where they abode, but I'm not sure. Let's, let's look that word up to see if we can get some proof on that uh, there, where they come in to an upper room. They went up where they abode, and let's see if we can get a definition of that word. Uh, resides or stayed fully, but it doesn't mean it was their habitat. They were there for some considerable time. It wasn't just an overnight stay, apparently. Forty days. Forty days. It could have been. So they come in and they went up to an upper room and I tried to find some resources for you on upper room and all I found was after I went through probably half a dozen um, difficult techni technical books, here, here is what it says in the almanac, upper room. Now, let me read the, I'm just going to make a statement or two. This is not long. So, domestic quarters, first of all, we suppose that in ancient Judea, as in Palestine today, the people used their ground floor for domestic purposes, storing food, housing the servants, and so on. These ground floor rooms were small and crudely furnished. Then he goes directly to the upper room. Uh, when a person ascended to the second story, uh, story by the stairs, he found the chambers were large and airy and often furnished with much more elegance than the rooms below. These upper rooms were higher, larger than the lower rooms, projecting over the lower part of the building so that their windows hung over the street. They were secluded, spacious, and very comfortable. The upper room created a porch over the lower. That's right. Yeah, it, it did. It created a, a porch over the lower levels. And and a lot of our um, towns today, um, where they're trying to rebuild some of the history. Uh, how many of you been up to that town in Washington, uh, Bavarian town? Anybody been to it? Or in Troutdale, you know, the, um, they rebuilt the whole city um, and the it comes up to the sidewalk and then the huh the upper floor 
sometimes on some of the buildings is extended out over the sidewalk um, at a certain point. So the upper room is used uh, a few times. Let's go to uh, loop 22. It's literally upstairs room, correct? Yeah. We have a room upstairs. And and they were large. And in this case, it was it was as larger than our auditorium because it comfortably sat or filled 120 people. If you go to Guadalajara, Mexico, you will see a lot of homes built the same way. Same way. And he says here that in Palestine today, and uh, they still use this. And um, I've, you know, whether I, I was there um, in the early 80s, and I don't know whether how it is now. But okay, look at 2216, 2212, I guess. And um, no, no, notice what it says in Luke 22 and verse 11. And you will say, um, well, let me go back to verse. Um, where do you, uh, in verse 9, they, they said to him, where do you want us to prepare the Passover? That's verse 8. Verse 10, he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples, and he will show you a little dinky... You weren't following, were you? All right, a large what? Furnished upper room. Let me, let me go over. I know of another one over in Acts chapter 20. I've always wanted to get Mike in the upper room while I was speaking. Look what happens here. What verse is it? Uh, let me see here. Um, verse, what, what chapter? Verse 20. Chapter 20. Um, oh, verse 7. On the first day of the week, which is like Wednesday or Thursday, right? When we were gathered together to break bread, and that's one of the reasons why they came together to break bread. That's not the only reason, but that's the one that's stated here. It's the only place where it's stated that way. Paul began teaching them or talking to them. And you know where the word talking is used here? Some of your Bibles say the word preach. You know why... The King James says that he began preaching to them, and why it says talking here? Because the Greek word is dialogos, and that means how many are speaking? Dialoguing. That's dialoguing. He was dialoguing with them. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we do here, isn't it? Yeah. And we dialogue, uh, and as long as I get my turn first, why well, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> that was enough out of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so on the first day of the week, when we and this is Acts, you know, we're going to be here in a, a little while. Maybe uh, I'm not sure I'll be still living, but somebody will be getting you here. Uh, Paul began talking to them, and I might make one more thing. This is free too. 
that the difference between preaching and teaching isn't the content nor the style, it's the audience. If it's a non-Christian audience, it's called preaching. If it's a Christian audience, it's called teaching. Okay? Y'all knew that. Uh, and, of course, you had to be careful about pulling pushing that too far because you don't know what the translation is sometimes but anyway that's just kind of a thing to remember what you're preaching to you you proclaim or preach to a non-christian audience the and that may determine the content but you teach those who have been made disciples you're teaching disciples to observe him in all things that's matthew 28 18 and 19 Okay, and to leave, so he began teaching to them or talking to them or preaching to them, as the King James says, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. That's why I said I'd love to get Mike in one of these upper rooms where I could preach to him at midnight, but he's got a problem. And let me read on. I mean, Mike's going to have a problem. There, are, there were many lamps in the upper room. Oh, so where were they? They were in the upper room where we were gathered together. See, it was a gathering place. It may have been a commercial gathering place uh, for commercial purposes, even though it was privately owned or and a part of a residence, but it was a meeting hall. And it was in the upper room. There were many lamps. We were gathered together, and there was a young man named Mike. And Mike was sitting on the windowsill. That's where Mike would sit. That's where he's sitting now. See him? Right there, he's in the window. (laughs) Seeking into a deep sleep. Oh, that's Mike. See, we got more criteria here than you knew. And as Paul kept on going on and on and on, he was, Mike that is, was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. Now Mike's got a problem. Because if you did that in my audience, he'd stay dead. But here's what happened with Paul. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. <clears throat> so they took the boy, they took the boy, and, and after we went back, and uh, they went, uh, when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them, a long while until daybreak, and then left. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Talk all night and walk all day. And you notice they didn't break the bread until after the message. You know, a lot of people want to have the Lord's Supper so they can leave early. This is a great trick to pull. Do your sermon first. <laughs> it's fun. And by the way, there's no proof that this is referring to our Lord's Supper at all. So it's a bad text to be using for that purpose. But but at least they met on the first day of the week, and we don't know whether it was just part of a meal or whether it was, in fact, the Lord's Supper. This is, there's debate on that. But that's not the issue. The, the, the issue is the use of the, of the upper room, and it was a, a large upper room, able to accommodate a lot of people, uh, in, even in those times. 
And, you know, if it got any bigger than that, where did they meet? Well, out on the side of the sea, you know, along the seashore or in a public square and places like that. So our time is up. Yeah, and you know, this rabbit got away. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully you can... We're, we're talking about the upper room, things that took place in the upper room. So now, now when you see it, don't just read it. You know, re, think about things that took place in the upper room. It was a meeting place, and here it was, it was adequate to hold the people. It was a good place to go. People knew that upper rooms were a place of gathering, um, and, you know, the people in town would know about that. No, but it's possible that this was the same upper room they had had the Last Supper in. We don't know that. Of uh, Luke 22. Yeah. It very likely was. Yeah. But we don't know that for certain. We do not know that for sure, and, and they may have been there all of the time, right. in and out of, the, of this particular upper room, but we don't know that, and we don't need to know that, but it's an interesting point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so anyway. Yeah, they had a place to stay. So it was, more, it was more than just a casual, you know, overnight stop. They were there and had settled in, so they had, um, people knew they were there. Okay, let's pray. Father, we look forward to a time when we can get answers to some of the questions we don't have. But for now, we're content in knowing what we can respond to and what we can do something about today in our life. And may we be prone to do that by intent. In Jesus' name, amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.